Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Story, when I was, I don't know how old I was, but I'm, I'm going to take a shot and say I was five and not 16, because if I was 16, this whole story is embarrassing. Um, when I was five, I got locked in my room as a kid, and I don't know what I don't know what was going on. I think I was just playing in my room with toys, and it was at night or at, in the winter, it was like four, um, but it got dark outside. And whatever happened, I don't think my parents were playing a trick on me, whatever happened, all of a sudden the lights went out and the door wouldn't open in my room, and I got locked in. And I, I'm scared of the dark, okay? I still have some issues um, not really bad. But as a kid, as five, like I got freaked out and I started screaming. And there's this little crack of light under the doorway that I was able to like find my way to the door and then like super freaked out when I couldn't get the door open. It's, it's some, I don't know what happened, but it was not opening. And so all I knew to do was start pounding on the door frantically and start screaming for my parents to come and help. And they got to the door and they started talking to me through the door, like, Shannon, it's okay. And as much as they would talk to me, I could not calm down. Like, Shannon, just find your way to a light. You know where the light is in your room and flip it on. And, like, I was paralyzed in fear. I don't know if you guys have ever felt fear that strong, where you know what you should do, but you're unable to do it. You're just, you can't move. So I'm paralyzed in fear at the door, and I'm just screaming for them, clinging to this little strand of hope. Have you ever felt like that? Like, you are, you are in trouble. You are in darkness. You don't know what to do. And you're just trapped there. And as much as you call for help, you, you are not where you want to be yet. You're not living in the light. Okay, that's what this whole Christmas series is about. As we unpack the names of Isaiah 9-6, as we look through the four different names, Isaiah is not just giving us four beautiful names kind of that he's randomly picking uh, out of nowhere and talking about. He is speaking to a people who are, um, who are lost in, in the dark. So if we, I think it's good just to review the story really quick. Like God, God is light and he creates us to be with him in the light. And in the garden, the people are communing with God. They're walking with God. They have a relationship with God. And all is right in the world, just like God intended it to be. And then people choose to go their own way, and they turn away from the light. I don't know if you've been camping, uh, and you walk away from the campfire, and all of a sudden you're in the dark woods, and you're like, whoa, that's really dark. And you look back, and it's light. And that's what we did. We walked away from the light. And it got dark. And then God calls this guy named Abram. And he says, I want you to be part of the light project. Okay? And he calls Abram. He changes his name to Abraham. And he says, I'm going to build a people out of you and your family. And it's going to expand until it's so big you couldn't even count it. Like the the sand on the beach, you can't even count it. It's going to be so big. And he begins to walk with Abraham. And they build a family of God, again, of people walking with God. And they start to say, we want a king. 
God says, you don't need a king. I'm your king. You follow me. And we want a king. You don't just follow me. We want a king. And he says, okay, but it's not going to go the way you think it will. And he gives the people a king. And for a while, it seems like it's really, really good. So Saul and David and Solomon, the country is living in a time of glory. It is beautiful and everything is going well. But then after Solomon, it starts to take a quick jump off a cliff. And people, instead of giving God uh, the respect and the admiration and following him as they ought to, they again choose to go their own way. And kings get greedy and one king after another king after another king kind of leads the nation into greed and into darkness. And the prophets stand up and say, you don't like where this is going. I promise you, if you keep on this trajectory, you will find yourself in darkness. You will find yourself in darkness. And as much as Isaiah screams out this message, they don't heed his warning. Jeremiah is the next man up, and he's called the weeping prophet because now it's like, okay, it's, it's gone too far. This is coming, and I, this is devastating. And Isaiah calls out and says, you can turn now, and they don't. And what happens is they find themselves broken and invaded. And uh, walking away from God has brought them into a place of darkness. Isaiah writes about it. And he says, but even in the place of darkness, there will be hope. Even in the place of, of seemingly hopeless darkness, when all is broken, a light will start to shine, and God is not done with you. And he's going, to, he's going to bring his plan into motion, and you will see it. That's what we're talking about in Isaiah 9. What promise is Isaiah talking about? So he says in Isaiah 9, 1, we can put it up on the screen. He says, after the people have walked away, after they have gone their own way and plunged themselves into darkness... This is what will happen. He says, There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. It's like, wow. What is coming? God, what is your answer for the darkness? What is the light? And he says, a child, a baby, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Okay, not what I expected, but we'll hold on to this. He says, the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And so in this series, we're unwrapping each one of these names 
They say, what does it mean that Jesus is wonderful counselor? What does it mean when Isaiah promises this light, this Jesus, that he will be mighty God, that he'll be everlasting father? What, what is this Prince of Peace? Because it's a really good Christmas card. But it's a really good Christmas card because it's rich in meaning. So what can we learn about it? And we've talked about mighty God, how Jesus is our hero. Jesus is our champion. He is the one who fights for us. And on a human level, but on a divine level as well, that he is our champion God fighting for us. Last week, Michael talked about how Jesus is the everlasting father, how he came to restore us as sons and daughters of God. Though we walk away... Though we walk away from our inheritance as sons and daughters, Jesus comes to bring us back to the family and love us with a kind of love that can only be understood as parents give children. So God is our everlasting Father, and Jesus uh, brings us to that. Today, uh, I don't know if this bugs you that we're going out of order in the series. Today we're going to go back to the first one, and we're going to talk about how Jesus is wonderful counselor. And then Christmas Eve, we're going to unwrap Prince of Peace, okay? So let's, let's just take a moment and pray, and then we'll dive into our wonderful counselor. Father, thank you. The more we study you, the more we understand how deep you are, that we can never get to the end of you, that we can never get to the end of your goodness and your greatness of your love for us, of your holiness. I pray that as we study you, that you would give us a sense of awe of who you are, that it would change us inside, that we would have a longing in our hearts to know you like this, and then it would change us. Jesus, I pray that more and more and more we would open ourselves up to you, that we would follow you because we trust you, because you are trustworthy and we know it. We love you. Help us to hear from you now. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is wonderful counselor, and we're going to break them up into two different words, the wonderful part and the counselor part, and we're going to start with the counselor. Okay. Uh, when I started studying this passage, I had this kind of one idea of what counselor meant, and then I found out I was wrong. I don't know if you've ever done that. If you brought your own ideas into the Bible, and you're like, that's good, but it's not right. Okay? Um, and that's why I love being able to study and being able to do this together, is to say, it's good to believe fervently. It's better to believe truthfully. Right? Uh, if you hang your hat really passionately on something that's wrong, it's just going to hurt when you fall, when you hit the bottom. Okay? So to understand Jesus as counselor, what this idea of counselor is, is someone who brings wisdom. Someone who brings wise counsel, okay? Um, I should have got it. It's not that hard to understand, um, but I had a different understanding of it. And this person who brings wise counsel, uh, like Psalm 16, 7 says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Like God gives us wisdom. We talked in James about if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, Right? God is a God of wisdom, and he's a God who loves to give wisdom. This is the counselor God. A counselor is someone who gives counsel. The entire book of Proverbs is given to us to impart wisdom. 
It's a book of wise counsel. And you can read it as a father is passing it on to his son. Listen to these words of mine. Follow this and you will be wise and, and you'll be saved from a lot of pain in your life. God is wise and he wants to lead us toward wisdom. He wants to guide us. I mean, it's not just God, though. Isaiah is saying, this is the light that's shining. This is the child that's going to be born. This is God made flesh. This is Jesus. And Jesus is the counselor. Isaiah 11:2 says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. And he's talking about Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.24 calls Jesus the wisdom of God. That's one of his names. He is the wisdom of God, not just wise. He is the wisdom of God. Jesus in Colossians 2.3 is referenced as the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is counselor. Mark Matlock in a parenting book writes, we see this in Jesus' life as he gathers a group of young, naive, and sometimes quite foolish disciples and invests himself in them for three years, living with them and experiencing life with them as a wisdom teacher. He didn't just give them a list of to-dos and don'ts for disciples. He used the seemingly insignificant moments of everyday life to impart wisdom of thinking and then acting from God's perspective. Mark continues and says, Jesus turned the everyday experience of getting a drink from a well into a conversation about quenching spiritual thirst. He turned a question about crowd control. What, what are we going to feed all these people into a demonstration of his father's power to meet every need? And he turned a boat ride from point A to point B into a corrective conversation about the father's power over even the scariest places of life. Jesus was able to tell people exactly what they needed to hear. He didn't have the same advice for everybody. He wasn't wishy-washy. He wasn't like, well, whatever. But he was able to look directly into somebody's eyes and pierce them with truth that they needed to hear. To the rich young ruler who has found all of his security and comfort in money, Jesus is able to pierce him, to look at him and say, you need to give it away. You have put your trust in something that cannot, cannot come through. You need to give it away to break the cycle of this trust. And then I want you to come and follow me, Jesus says. His, his disciples see him praying and they say, teach us. Jesus, teach us to pray. And he takes that question and he shows them what talking to the Father looks like. And he's, he's, he's like, okay, you can watch me do it and I'm going to explain it, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to give you the counsel you need. A couple times, you know, Jesus calls Peter the rock, and then he turns around and he calls him Satan. Like, this is a messed up relationship. But he's able to give Peter exactly what he needs. Like, so when Peter is nailing, he says, yes, 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 yes. And when Peter screws up, he says, no, 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 no. Okay, And there's this really wonderful relationship of invitation and challenge that a wise counselor is going to give you. You don't just want a wise counselor to give you fluff. Yes, 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 yes. 
That's so stupid, but yes. Okay? You want a wise counselor to speak to you appropriately where you need help. And if you're getting it right, you want them to say, yes, you're getting it right. Keep going. This is the right track. Don't question that. Keep going. And if you're getting it wrong, your best friend, your best counselor is going to say, that's dumb. Don't do it. I care about you. You need to hear that this is not okay. Right? And so Jesus is able to tell Peter, yes and no, exactly when it's appropriate, exactly when he needed to hear each one. He loved people right where they were, but he kept prodding them toward growth. And he also flipped wisdom on its head. Right? We've talked about this in the series of James, how the difference between worldly wisdom, what the world esteems as wise, and then what Jesus says, this is wise. And you look at the world, and the world's wisdom is all ladder-oriented. The world's wisdom is all, how can I climb higher and higher and achieve more and get more comfortable and have more security in my own achievements and then get kudos so that everybody looks up to me and says, man, how did you get so high? And if I have to step over people in the process, so be it, I'm going to climb. And Jesus says, no, you flip that. You want wisdom from God? You get down on your knees. You eventually climb a cross. You give your life for others. That's what God's wisdom is about. And that's what Jesus says. You can follow this worldly wisdom, but you will lose your soul in the process. If you want a wisdom that saves your soul, you got to flip it on its head. And so Jesus starts talking about a different kind of wisdom. And he confounds teachers. He confounds people that think they have it all together. And he, he doesn't just confound them. He angers them to the point where they start to plot to kill him. That this doesn't agree with what we want people to understand. Jesus messed everything up for them. He just flips wisdom on its head. But you can see it over and over and over. He doesn't respond in anger. He doesn't let anger get the best of him. He has the kind of self-control where he's able to take the stickiest of conversations and get right to the heart of it and say, I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to go to the one that's deeper than that. Jesus, time and time and time again, shows how wise he is. We can look to him as counselor. People looked to him as counselor. But Isaiah adds another word. He doesn't just say, Jesus is counselor. What does he say? Wonderful counselor. Which again, I think we, we toss out the word wonderful and we're like, oh, that's wonderful. Like, that's really neat. Wonderful here has a much, much deeper meaning. Wonderful means full of wonder, okay? Wonderful means awe-inspiring. Wonderful means miraculous. Wonderful means out of this world. This couldn't just happen. Something else is at work here. This is not natural. It's supernatural. So Jesus is the miraculous counselor. He's the full of wonder counselor. He's the this couldn't just be human wisdom counselor. He's this this has got to be straight from God counselor. I don't understand it, but I'm going to follow it kind of counselor. And Jesus is that. This wonderful, awe-inspiring, out-of-the-world, miraculous, the kind of wonder 
that, I, that uh, Exodus 15, 11, uh, talks about when Moses is singing a song, he's writing a song, after God has freed the people from Egypt, brought them right up to the Red Sea, and they get trapped between the, the ocean, the Red Sea, and uh, the Egyptians coming to attack them. Moses gets right there, and then God says, I'm going to split the water, and you're going to walk across. And then the waters come back on to the chasing army, and they have victory because like God does this, and Moses writes in his song, Who is like you, O Lord? Who is like you among the gods? Who is, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? There's the word. Doing wonders. This is Red Sea wonder. This is not, oh, that's neat. This is wonder. What just happened? That's the God that this is talking about. Psalm 7711 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. And you start looking at the miracles that God provides. And you start looking at the miracles that Jesus is able to do. And you start looking at the counsel that Jesus provides. And it is different. It is different than we have seen before. Psalm 77, 14 says, You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. And so we talk about wonderful counselor. We're talking about a God of might who is doing things. We're talking about a God of might who is doing things that we could not dream up. Tony's going to end the service to say, now to him who is able to do immeasurably, be, immeasurably more than all we could ask or even think. That's wonder. That God does stuff we couldn't even dream up. This is Jesus. He's not just counselor. He's wonderful counselor, miraculous counselor. And so here's, here's one of my mind-blowing moments of the week, and I'm just going to float it by you to say, I, I don't know that I've uh, read any really smart people uh, writing about this passage in this way, so I'm just going to test it, and I'm not going to say this is definitive, but here's this kind of in my head this week. Isaiah is talking about the incarnation, right? He's talking about God becoming flesh. God of heaven putting skin on and coming down. So he talks about a baby who is going to be mighty God. So the, there are these two natures going on in this Jesus, that he is fully God and fully human. And so what if each of these names that Isaiah presents has a divine component in it? and a human component in it. I, don't, I haven't heard anybody say this or break them up, and maybe this is getting too simplistic for me, but for me it was like, whoa! So we have the mighty God. We have the hero champion. And other you know, humans have been referred to as the hero, this word mighty, El Gibor uh, in the Old Testament. The, so Goliath was a hero. He was a champion, and Gideon was a hero. He was a champion. And you see people who are referred to as this word. They are the mighty. But we have mighty and God in the same. We have the father. And we're called to be fathers. We're called to be parents of children to our own children and to extend that kind of love to others, to call them home. But we have father, and we have not just father, but the everlasting father, the forever father. Father, 
And then we have this counselor who is out of the world, out of this world. And, and I, for me, I have this moment where I say, I think Isaiah is breaking up the incarnation bit by bit by bit to say, in Jesus, you see the divine and you see the human all at once. And it's beautiful. So he's not just wise, Jesus. He's wisdom himself. Proverbs 8 gives us a poetic definition of wisdom. We're going to throw it up. I'm not going to throw it up. That sounds weird. Uh, We're going to put it on the screen and read through. This is how the Bible describes wisdom. It personifies wisdom. gives us a beautiful poetic understanding of what wisdom is. If wisdom was a person, this is what it would look like. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way at the crossroads? She takes her stand beside the gates in the front of town at the entrance of the portals. She cries aloud, to you, O men, I call. And my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. So even the simple and even the foolish can become wise. That's what the invitation says. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, says wisdom, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips, like it never comes out of my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, my knowledge, rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate, says wisdom. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight, I have strength, for by me kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly, those who love me and those who seek me diligently, find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice. I am uh, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasures, treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old, ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depths, I, wisdom, was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with the water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there, says wisdom. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear my instructions and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me. 
watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. And then it closes. Whoever finds me, wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. This is wisdom personified. And for the core of it, you could look at Jesus and say, Jesus fits the description. Jesus is with God at the beginning. And John 1 opens up the Gospel of John saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Colossians says everything was made by Jesus through Jesus, that he was, he was right there in creation. Over and over and over, Jesus is showing himself not just to be wise, but to be wisdom himself. If you want wisdom, there is no better source than to go, or no better place than to go right to the source of wisdom. He doesn't just show us the way. He is the way. He doesn't just point us toward life. He is life. He doesn't just lead us into truth. He is truth. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not saying, like, I'm wise. I'm like, I'm wisdom. You come to me, and I will, I will give you what your soul is thirsty for. This, this is Jesus, the wonderful counselor. And so the, the first question that begs to be asked is, do you know him? Do you know him as mighty God? He fights for you. As everlasting father, he calls you home. As wonderful counselor, he leads you into life. And in him is life. And you can know him like that. So what do we do with that? If you don't know him like that, then you ask him, would you create in me a hunger? Would you help me know you? And if you have enough that you could say, I know it, then would you make the 18-inch journey from your head to your heart? To say, there's something about knowing something and there's something about really knowing something, right? That you eat it and you put it inside you and say, this is, this is what I want to be like. So you take Jesus as wonderful counselor and say, I will follow you. I will find my life in you. When I need wisdom, I will go to you. We turn to him in guidance, for guidance. On our own, we end up broken. And even our best of thinking sometimes shows itself as just mere foolishness. Revelation 3.17 says, this is Jesus talking. He said, you say I'm rich. Like Shannon says, Shannon's rich. You say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I, I need nothing. And he's not. You're not realizing, says Jesus, you're not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This is the same Jesus who called Peter Satan. This is Jesus looking at us and saying, no, 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 no. Not in a scolding, 
I'm so disgusted by you kind of way, but I know you are banking on the wrong thing. You say you are rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. And you're not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says, I counsel you. I want to give you wisdom. I want to guide you. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And he's saying, put your riches in the stuff that will not melt away. Put your, what you find most valuable. Don't put it in money that just can evaporate, can melt away. Put it in the stuff that has been refined, that will hold up the test of time. And he says, I counsel you to buy from me white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. That we walk around in shame of our own doing. And Jesus says, I will give you something new to wear. Like, you show up for a wedding wearing dingy clothes and people are like, man, do you not know this is a celebration? You might say, this is all I have. And Jesus says, I see you. I will give you something new. You don't have to carry your head down. You can pick it up. You don't have to just carry the shame that you have created or that others have dumped on you. I can give you something new. I counsel you to buy white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness that may not be seen. And salve, this is medicine, to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus says you're blind. And I want you to see, and I have, I have the cure. I am the cure. And if you want it, I will give it to you. And you pray, God, help me see you. Help me see. I don't want to be blind anymore in this life. Jesus says, I can give that to you. Will you turn to me? We ask him for wisdom. We ask him what he thinks. And then we follow him. Like we believe it into action. It says, repent and believe. That says, okay, I come to terms with where I am, and it's good for me to understand it, but now i got to do something with it. I don't want to just know that I'm wrong and say, Jesus, help. I want to know that I'm wrong. I need Jesus' help, and then I need to follow him. As he says, go this way. I want to believe that he can do something in me, and I want to follow what he says and where he leads this is all about the ladder and the cross. Jesus is not very often going to tell you to climb the ladder. But he will tell you to live the life of the cross. So this is where it is for me. A time where I felt like I had to say, Jesus, what do you want? God, what do you want? I'm in a really good church with a really good position with really good friends and really good ministry and a lot of cool stuff is happening. And Damascus Road comes out of nowhere. Like, no, I had never heard of you guys, except, uh, except my pastor had talked about your cool pastor once in a while and how he'd get together for coffee with him and talk about him. Okay, Tim, awesome dude. And out of nowhere, it says, hey, there's this church. You might fit with this church. No, that's good. That's really good. But no, thanks. Move on. And, it, and God wouldn't let me let go of it. And over and over and over, I had this, 
I had to wrestle with this. I said, Jesus, what do, you, what do you want? And I don't know if you've ever had a counselor in your life, a mentor in your life, who spoke something, and it's like they, they probably forgot it the moment it left their lips, but it sticks with you forever. Have you guys had that? So I'm talking with a mentor, and I'm explaining you guys, and I'm explaining where I'm at in Fond du Lac, and talking through it, and he says, you know what? You find safety in Christ. You take risks for Christ's kingdom. And it destroyed me. So I, to be safe would be to stay where I am. But I'm safe in Christ. He'll keep holding me. I don't know what the future holds, but I know that I'm safe in him. What is riskier was a question I had to deal with. Is it riskier to stay here in Fond du Lac or is it riskier for Christ's kingdom to jump to Madison? That's an easy answer for me. For me, it was. It was safe. It was not risky there. This is what it looked like to take a risk for Christ's kingdom. And so just for me, I, I had to deal with it to say, I think God will let me stay here in Fond du Lac. But I don't know what I'll miss. And if he's leading in a direction and I say, no, nah, I think I'll go this way. I might not just miss good stuff. He might start to press on me like, no, I'm trying to get your attention, and I'm going to make it hard now. Okay, So I'd rather get ahead of the curve. I'd rather jump on it before he starts making it hard on me. Right? I want to listen the first time instead of dealing with, no, I mean it. Take a risk. What is that for you? When you turn to Jesus, you say, how do you want me to live? What is your wisdom for me? He'll give it to you. That is a dangerous prayer. If you want life, you can look to Jesus and he'll give it to you. And if you say, I want to follow you, he'll say, this is how. But then you got to get up and do it. What does that look like for you? All of a sudden, the song Oceans fit a little bit better. It says, take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. I never dreamed of this. We're writing out a Christmas card letter and saying, yeah, this time last year, we had no idea. Isn't it amazing how God leads? It is just amazing, amazing how God leads. And we're so excited. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And it's weirdly or perfectly the first time we spied on DR, uh, we sang Oceans together. And we sang a chorus and it was moving. And God's doing something. I hope you never sing that song without asking God to take you into the deep. I hope you never sing that song um, casually. It's a risky song to worship God with. And I want, I want it to come out of you to say, I'm, I'm in. Take me where you want to. Please do that. So here's another what if. Uh, and I can't back this up, but it's kind of one of those what if questions digging into these names to say there's, I think, a divine component and a human component. Well, what if 
Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.21 that Jesus left an example and he says, so that you might follow in his steps. We're told to follow in the steps of Jesus. The only problem is I can't be like God. Like I can't follow Jesus as he was God, right? I can follow Jesus as he was human. So the stuff that Jesus does out of his own humanity, I can become more like that. When he does stuff out of his divinity, like rising from the dead, I can't do that. That's not on my own power. I got nothing there. I'm just dead. Okay? But I can be more like the human side of Jesus. So what if, what if we would look at these names and say, there's part of these names, I can't be mighty God, but I can be mighty for others. And in the way that Jesus came and fought for me, I can fight for others, and I can be a hero for others with a little H, while Jesus is the big H, right? Jesus is the mighty God hero. I can just, I'll be fine if I can just be mighty and fight for others. What if I can't be everlasting father, but I can love people with a fatherly kind of love that says, I want you to come home. Here's an invitation to come home. What if, what if maybe that's what we can pull out of this? What if with counselor, we would say, okay, I can't be miraculous. Like, everything that I say is wisdom. I screw up a lot in my counsel. And sometimes I like, okay, I'm going to say something wise. And people are like, mm, no, that, not good. Okay. But the more that I turn to Jesus and the more that I follow Jesus, the more I become like Jesus, the more wisdom grows up in me so that I could actually become a voice of wisdom for others. What if I'm not content to let Jesus have it all, to say, Jesus, what you have, I want to be like. Jesus, what you have, I want to follow. And so where you are wisdom, will you help me be wise so that I can give it to others, not just to pump up my own chest and climb the ladder so that people look to me and are awed, but so that I can give that to others. I want to fight for people, and I want to love people well, and I want to, I want to lead people in the ways of wisdom. Jesus, would you help me follow you? And would you help me help others follow you? Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. What if we live that way? I want to be wise and I want to give people worthy counsel as we follow Jesus. I think God can grow that in us. We become that kind of people. So we'll close and we'll finish up back in my dark room when I'm five and I'm banging on the door, clinging to this little strip of light coming through. And I don't know what happened next except that my parents couldn't get it open, and they decided I'd rather have a broken door frame than a broken sun. <laughs> and they busted through, and they never fixed the door. <laughs> so for the rest of my time growing up in that house, and actually later after we moved out of that house and I went back and like, you ever show up at a house that you lived at and say, hi, I used to live here. Can I come in and look around? Yeah, like I did that, and they looked at me weird and then said, come on in. Um, and I went back up to my room, and I saw, I saw the latch still broken, still busted off the wall. And my parents, it became this weird reminder to me, this cool reminder that my parents would fight for me. 
that my parents would not let me stay in the dark, that they would do whatever they needed to do to bring me into the light, to save me and rescue me. That was my parents for me. And I looked at the doorway and I looked at the scars of the door frame that remained. They could have fixed it. They should have probably fixed it. But they didn't, and it was powerful for me. My mom and dad did that for me. Like our God did that for us. Our God finds us in darkness, screaming for help. And he breaks down the door because we can't get out on our own. It's exactly who Jesus is. And I want you to know that. I want you to know that Jesus who breaks down the doors of heaven to get to you, to bring you home, who fights for you, who loves you with an everlasting love, and who, who will show you the wise way to live, lead you straight to life. In him is life. There is no darkness in him. We're walking in darkness and God stops at nothing to bring the light back. So as we go to communion, I think it's good today if we focus on the darkness that we lived in and the scars that Jesus bore so that we could have life, that we could walk in light. Let's pray that way today. As as the team comes back up, we're going to do communion. And then what I want what I want for us as a church family is to not check out now and say, okay, sermon's done, we're done. Let's go on with the rest of our day. But if we could be people who would say, how do I respond to this? If awe has been felt, how do I express it? If there's something going on in me that says, I believe, but now I need to start looking toward action, what do I do with that? As we work toward communion, this is a, this is a worship response. As the songs are sung, Will we engage? Say, we are not done worshiping. We want to worship here, and we want to leave worshiping, and we want to live our lives as lives of worship to the only one who deserves it, right? Let's pray. Jesus, you are wise. You are not just wise. You are wisdom. And you give it to us. You offer it to us. I pray that we would become people who ask, who beg you for wisdom. And you're not stingy with it. You want to give it. Would you, be, be, would you make us people who are desperate to hear from you? And to not just hear from you, but then to do what you say. To walk, to walk in the way of life that you offer. And would you make us people as we follow you? who are able to give that to others. Who are able to offer not worldly wisdom, but your wisdom to others. To show them the life that is truly life. As we enter into communion now, would you help us reflect on how far you would come to bring the light Thank you, Jesus.